Today on Know the Truth, a lesson from Philip DeCourcy. Dr. Ivor Oakley at the Irish Baptist College in Belfast said, Man, you have a twofold ministry. Disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. On the negative side, in his preaching, a pastor will confront and rebuke. On the positive side, he will encourage. Bottom line, preaching is to be pastoral. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today Philip DeCourcy reminds us that the best antidote to error is a true knowledge of Scripture. It's the continuation of a two-part lesson titled Stay on Message from the Without Apology series. Remember, you can always revisit your favorite messages from this series when you visit our website at ktt.org. You can also listen to full sermons on the KTT app. Just search your app store for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Right now, let's join Philip for today's message. In rising and then rallying the British people to fight Hitler and the German army, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, in the early days of World War II, stood before the House of Commons, and in June of 1941, he said this, I have only one purpose, the destruction of Hitler, and my life is much simplified thereby. There was a certain purpose and a certain calling that framed and focused the life of Winston Churchill. He was captured by a calling, the destruction of Hitler and Hitler's Germany. He was a man on a mission, and he was a man with a message. Now, as we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, Paul is in the process of framing and focusing the life and the ministry of young Timothy. It's AD 67. He writes from Rome. He's enduring his second imprisonment. He will soon die. And so he writes to charge this young man to stay on message, to stay on mission. He's going to simplify Timothy's life. Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And so we started to look at these verses, and I want to come back to finish our exposition. Now, just as a reminder, we believe that these verses are the emotional climax to the book. There is a bond between these two brothers. Paul calls Timothy a beloved son or a son in the faith. He had seen him come to Christ. He had seen him grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had been party to separating this young man for gospel ministry. And so there is a deep emotional bond. And Paul is writing for the last time. And we likened it to the image of a father dying. And there he lies on his deathbed and he grabs the hand of his son and he charges him, you know, look after mom or take care of the business or don't forget to live out what I taught you. And that's what's going on here. It's a very emotional letter. Number two, it's not only the emotional climax of the book, it's the centerpiece of the book. The language is weighty and solemn. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. This is the centerpiece. 
This is the final and most forceful of Paul's imperatives to Timothy. Now, we looked at the passage and we put it under four headings, the coming, the charge, the contrast, and the continuity. We covered the first one, the coming. That's verse one. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Paul wants Timothy to preach with a fear of God with a sense of eternity, with a weightiness, a solemnness to all that he does because someday he will be judged by Jesus Christ at his coming and his kingdom. And I'm not gonna underscore much more of that. Timothy had an audience of one. The congregation may have been to the foreground, but God in his glory and his holiness and Timothy's accountability to God is clearly to the background and never far away. So there's the coming and then there's the charge. It's preach the word, preach the word. And we started to look at the preaching of the word as Paul explains it and exhorts it here, we started to see that Timothy was to preach the word precisely. The word preach here is a Greek word that carries the idea of a herald, a messenger of the king. He has a prescribed message. His words are not his words. His words are the words of another, the king. And he comes to a town or he goes to a foreign country and he declares what the king has already written. And that's the message of Paul to Timothy. That's the calling of Paul to Timothy in ministry. Hey, God has given us his word and you need to preach it. You need to preach it precisely. You're not the chef, you're the butler. The food has already been made. It's your job to present the food in a way that indeed will bring satisfaction and fulfillment to the famished soul. But he's not only to preach it precisely, he's to preach it plainly with authority. He's to be clear in his exposition. He's to be authoritative in his presentation because implicated again in the idea of the herald is that the herald has a message from the king He has been sent under the authority of the king, commissioned by the king, and that allows him to speak with authority, with plainness. The Christian minister is not to stutter, and the Christian minister is not to mutter. He's to get up with a Bible he has understood correctly and declare, thus says the Lord. And he says it to the church, and he says it to the culture, and he says it to the kings and those in authority. Now we're catching up to where we left off. Thirdly, Timothy is to preach passionately, precisely, plainly, passionately. Let's get back to our text, verse two. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. There's to be an earnestness, an urgency, a passion to Timothy's presentation of the gospel. He's not to play at preaching. The expositor's aim and target is the text, and he should be ready to preach it at a moment's notice. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1 verse 15? I am ready to come and preach the gospel to you in Rome. I'm ready. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 3 15? Be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. The man of God, and certainly the preachers of the gospel, need to be men that are ready. They're cocked and they're loaded for action. 
And given the opportunity, they preach the word. And they preach it precisely, and they preach it plainly, and they preach it passionately. The word be ready carries the idea of be alert, be on your guard. It was used of a soldier ready for battle. It's used of keeping a vigil. If we were to take it into the sports realm, it's have your game face on. To go back to the idea of the soldier being ready, I remember when I was a police officer in Belfast, when we were leaving Antrim Road Police Station in North Belfast, we went out into a pretty difficult area where the IRA was very active. When we went to the loading bay to check our weapons, I always remember a sign that was on the loading bay on the brick wall that was there, and it was this, stay alert, stay alive. Those are the last words you saw before you left the station to go out onto the roads of North Belfast. Be ready. Put your game face on. Be alert, you know? Be prepared. And you know, this was something that Timothy needed to hear. Because remember what we saw in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where he needed to stir up the gift that was given to him by the laying on of the hands of the elders. The word stir up is in the Greek, fan the flame. Timothy had a tendency to become timid and tepid. And Paul's urging him, preach the word precisely. Preach the word plainly. Preach the word passionately. Exposition should never be listless or lackadaisical in its manner. In season, out of season, plainly means all seasons. Timothy was to preach not just when it was convenient, not just when it was well-received, not just when he felt like it. He was to preach it at every opportunity that was presented to him. And so he's to preach passionately. Maybe one of the great verses that speaks to this is Jeremiah 20, verse 9, where Jeremiah is a little discouraged as he speaks to the nation that will soon be exiled makes a prophecy concerning Israel's exile to Babylon. But as he gets discouraged because the people aren't listening, he basically begins to write his resignation, doesn't want to preach anymore. And what do we read in Jeremiah 20, verse 9? But you know what? When I didn't want to speak, I had to speak because your word burned in my bones. The man that's called of God, the man that's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the man that understands his commission before God and in the light of eternity will be a man who will preach passionately. He will be ready to preach and he will be faithful. Few things will put him off his mission and his message. My young friend from Northern Ireland, Johnny McLaughlin, former rugby player, God saved him. Now he's in the ministry there in Northern Ireland, having graduated from the Master's Seminary. He told me a story some time ago that on one Sunday morning, He was up doing the announcements, but he started to feel nauseated, so much so that he kind of cut the announcements short, and as the congregation was singing the hymn, he kind of went out into the side room where there was a bathroom, because he felt like, hey, I could be sick here, and he was, literally was. He got in there just in time, got on his knees, looked straight into a toilet bowl, and let it all out, and he felt awful. Fever was breaking. You know that feeling. It's horrible. Nauseated, vomiting, fever. And he's going, what do I do? 
You know, I'm meant to be up here in a few minutes to preach the morning message. Should I just tell the assistant, hey, you know what, brother? You're on your own. And he was trying to think this out. And literally he told me while his face was in the toilet bowl, he remembered something that Alex Montoya had said at the master's seminary. In one of the preaching classes at the master's seminary, Alec was preaching on faithfulness and courage and passion in the ministry and just do what it takes to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And he made this statement one day in the class that, you know what he said, preachers don't call in, they crawl in. (laughs) And you know what? Young Johnny McLaughlin, spilling his guts, looking into a toilet bowl, that came into his mind. Preachers don't call in they crawl in. And he just mustered whatever energy he had, prayed God to keep whatever was left in his stomach down. And he got back up into the pulpit and he preached the morning sermon. Ready, in season and out of season. We're not only to preach precisely and preach plainly and preach passionately, Timothy was to preach pastorally. Notice what comes next. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Now that's the language of preaching to a congregation. That's not evangelistic language. You don't rebuke and you don't convince and you don't exhort unbelievers. You call them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ flat out. Now this is a call to exposit God's word there at Ephesus to Timothy. He was to indeed feed the flock over which God had made him an overseer. And so he is to preach pastorally, convince, rebuke, exhort. That's the function of biblical exposition. Go back to verse 16, chapter 3, and notice the ability of God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Notice for reproof. Notice for correction. Notice for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, not the unbeliever, the man of God, the people of God, may be complete and equipped to every good work. So Paul is calling Timothy to preach the word pastorally. Now, later on in verse 5, he'll tell him to do the work of an evangelist. But clearly, this is pastoral exposition. And it's centered on two things. On the negative side, in his preaching, a pastor will confront and rebuke. He will expose sin. He will confront disobedience. He will rebuke bad behavior and false doctrine. On the positive side, he will encourage, he will exhort, he will preach the great and exceeding promises of God. He will preach the glory and sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his gospel. We could summarize it by words given to me by Dr. Ivor Oakley at the Irish Baptist College in Belfast, where I was first trained, where he said to us as a body of young men hoping for ministry, man, you have a twofold ministry, disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. And basically, that's what Paul's saying here to Timothy. Rebuke them, convince them, exhort them. You know, some of God's people, some of the time, need a slap in the ear. And in at other times, they need a pat on the back. The good minister in his exposition will not only be strong and sometimes severe, at other times, in fact, probably within the same sermon, needs to be gracious and kind and uplifting and encouraging. Bottom line, preaching is to be pastoral. 
Now, I want to speak to preachers for a moment, especially young men, perhaps in our leadership track, certainly those among us who are teaching God's Word. Do notice that preaching is developed and directed towards people. Biblical preaching is developed and directed towards people. We talk about expository preaching. It needs to be expository preaching. Now, let me explain those two words. What do we mean by expository? That means that we come to the text with the best tools in submission to the Holy Spirit, in a prayerful mindset. We try to understand the text in its context. And so expository preaching is preaching out of the text. We let the Bible speak. We don't come to impose our thinking on the text. We don't come with our culture and the day we're in and the things we're facing and impose that on the text. We allow what happened then to speak to now. That's expository, but it's expository preaching. It's out of the text into a context, into the life of a congregation. Our preaching must meet people's needs. We are not to preach simply to educate ourselves or to enjoy the thrill of preaching itself. We're to preach to people hurting, battling with sin and the world and the devil, facing decisions, raising a family, trying to be light in the darkness. We're to feed and encourage those people. So guys, For those of you who aspire to preaching, familiarity with the text is only half of the equation. Familiarity with your congregation or the people you're addressing is the other half of that equation. Our sermons must be people-friendly and people-focused. I think that's what Timothy is being told here. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, and you know what? Convince, rebuke, and exhort your people. Preachers are in the people business. That's why preachers need to be pastors and pastors need to be preachers. I don't think anybody can preach really well unless they have a congregation they love to preach to because it's out of knowledge of God's people that a preacher or myself takes the text and weds those two worlds together to the benefit of the body of Christ. I like what Warren Wearsby said to a church who invited him some years ago to become their pastor. It was a big church. It was a fine congregation. He would have been well looked after. And you know what? They dangled this carrot in front of him. They said this, you know what, Mr. Wearsby? If you come, all you have to do is preach. We've got a big enough staff that they'll visit the sick. They'll bury the dead. They'll wed lovers you just have to preach. In fact, you may not even have to come to the leadership meetings if you don't want to. You're a preacher. You're a writer. You know what? Would you come? He refused. And he surprised them in his refusal. And here's what he said in his refusal. You're asking me to minister to a faceless crowd? I cannot do it. Sure, I could preach acceptable sermons week by week, but they wouldn't be messages that would meet the needs of the people. I'd be distanced from the church family and that would make the sermon less and less personal and more and more academic and it won't work and I'm not coming. That's why the great 
Reformed evangelist George Whitfield wrote in his journal early in his ministry, in fact, early enough to be an interim minister, he said, I frequently learned as much by an afternoon's visit as in a week's study. Here's another thought. Preach patiently. Keep your eye on the tax. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Just as the first command, preach, is qualified by the second command, be ready, and it's two adverbs, in season and out of season, so the three commands, convince, rebuke, and exhort, are qualified by the prepositional phrase with all long-suffering and teaching. So preach precisely as a herald. Preach plainly as a herald. Preach passionately. Preach pastorally. But Timothy, make sure you preach with great patience. In fact, Paul had modeled that, hasn't he? Go back into chapter 3, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Paul is not asking Timothy to do that which he has not himself done. But the point is this, guys. The pastor teacher, the man of God, must have a loving heart because he's to preach pastorally to a people he loves and wants to feed. And he's to preach with a patient spirit. He must put time in and work in while he awaits a better day in terms of people's sanctification and people's personal holiness. He understands that you can't get up in front of a congregation and wave your Bible like a magic wand and all of a sudden you've got a congregation of perfect saints. doesn't work that way. God's people can't be instantaneously made mature or united. No, a pastor's got to be long-suffering. Now, let me say this by way of qualification. That doesn't mean a pastor tolerates open and glaring sin. It's not a call to postpone necessary leadership decisions. But it is a call to bear with people's faults, gripings, feelings were possible. It's a recognition that it takes time to grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification, unlike justification, is progressive. Congregational life isn't one long jump to success. It's a series of steps. You're listening to Know the Truth, a lesson titled Stay on Message, Part 2. If you missed any of today's lesson or would like to revisit part one, we've made them easy to find and listen to over on our website at ktt.org or on the KTT app and podcast. At Know the Truth, we are passionate about sharing the gospel with a world in need of truth. After all, what's more important than proclaiming the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? As Jesus said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So today... We hope you'll consider partnering with us by signing up to become a Truth Ambassador. Truth Ambassadors give a monthly recurring donation, allowing us to plan and prepare these programs each day every month all through the year. It's easy to sign up online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. Your partnership makes all the difference. And when you give, you'll receive Living by God's Promises. This book will help deepen your Christian life by drawing from stellar Puritan treatises on divine promises from God. It features powerful revelations by Andrew Gray, Edward Lee, and William Spurstow, offering them a contemporary language for today's readers. 
Also, when you become a Truth Ambassador in January, you'll receive the brand new Know the Truth shirt as a practical reminder of your important role in this ministry. But today is the last day these two resources are available. So call now, 888-644-8811, or give your gift online at ktt.org. And if you are a new listener or have never reached out, sign up for your own free copy of Resting in God's Daily Sufficiency. Learn more about that at ktt.org. Also, be sure to link up with us on social media. You'll find us on most platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to join us again tomorrow as Philip DeCourcy concludes today's lesson titled Stay on Message. You won't want to miss it. That's Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Mm-hmm.